0: Welcome to Money Stories with LDT. I'm Linda Davis Taylor, and this is Investing in Yourself with Kate Luzio.
1: But yet we don't sit there and talk openly about money and get tips from each other and learn from each other. We've got to break down that barrier and start being open and honest.
0: Today on Money Stories, we're joined by Kate Luzio, the founder and CEO of Luminary, a collaboration hub for women who are passionate about professional development and expanding their networks. Prior to self-funding the launch of Luminary, Kate was the executive vice president and global head of multinational corporate banking for HSBC, managing roughly $2 billion in revenue and teams in 72 countries. Luminary's ethos begins with this statement. No one cares about your career more than you do. It's your ultimate investment. You can no longer wait for your job or boss to give you a career roadmap. We are doing things differently and acting beyond buzzwords to make change happen. I hope you listen in to today's episode and learn more from Kate about how to invest in yourself, in your network, and in your career. What a pleasure it is today to welcome Kate Luzio to our Money Stories conversation. Kate, we're gonna talk about so many interesting things about your background and thank you so much for
1: being with us today. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Great. Well, you know, our podcast is Money Stories. You're a financial expert yourself, an entrepreneur by any measure, hugely successful. So congratulations on everything that you've accomplished. And I'd love to start our conversation, if you, if you could, by going back to earlier days. Mm-hmm. When you were growing up, do you have any recollection from your family or any other early mentors about actually learning about money? Could you share anything about that with us?
1: Sure. So, uh, I grew my, my, uh, my upbringing, uh, I, I was, you know, we were a family of five. I, my father was an FBI agent and my mom was a teacher. So no one that was making, you know, tons of money mm-hmm. or, or certainly, uh, I, I would call them much more civil servants, public servants, but from a very, very young age, um, uh, my father in particular talked about saving money. Uh, and, anytime we would get money for a birthday or for Christmas, he would allow us to hold that bill because it was usually a bill for, for maybe five seconds. <laughs> and then he would say, thank you very much. That's going into your college fund. And at a young age, you're sort of like, oh, great. You know, not not that I need $50 anyway, but what, what does that even mean a college fund? And, and as, you know, we started to get older in particular around when we could get a job, right? There was never do I need to get a job? And it wasn't a negative. It was I want to work. Mm-hmm. I see the value of of a dollar and and hard earned money to be able to to save, but also to buy things, and that I wanted. And so as soon as we could get jobs, real jobs of the working age, we did. But before that, there was there was always this. Um, my dad in particular again instilled still just to really work hard right so if it was your chores if you were doing a lemonade stand if you were babysitting like you gave it your all because you wanted to earn that money and so by the time i went to college um number one i i thank my parents every day because i came out of college with no debt no there you debt. go i mean you know we know today exactly and all of those experiences around saving your paycheck, um, doing extra work for money. I worked in my entire four years of college, except for the one semester where I, I lived abroad. And, and that was not because my my parents made me feel bad about it. Um, they really instilled that the value of a dollar, working hard, the work ethic, but also being able to have that privilege that you could do things, um, and you know, as soon as I graduated from college, I started saving for my future children's educations because that was what I learned, and and not in a in a negative way. I ended up not being able to have children, hence being able to self fund Luminary. But those were those the early sort of memories of of learning about money. Mm-hmm but also about debt, because my older brother, when I was in college, you know, and this doesn't happen anymore, but when I started college in 1993, there were college, uh, there were banks all over campus um, soliciting for credit cards. Right. That's when they could do that. Right. And you didn't understand. You No one was teaching that in high school or even Somebody's college. Somebody's giving me something. Someone's giving me something. I'm getting a free t-shirt. I'm getting this card that allows me. And I remember... My first card from University of Maryland, it was a, I think it was a Capital One or whoever was the predecessor mm-hmm. to Capital One. And um, I could not understand why every month I was paying my minimum payment and the numbers weren't going down. And I called my older brother and I said, I, I, I am, I'm like really needing a loan. And he said, why? I said, I, I spent this money on my credit card. And he said, first of all, why do you have a credit card? Um, and second of all, you can't just pay the minimum payment. And he started to explain sort of the APR and he mm-hmm. actually paid off my credit card. And he said, here's a lesson. You never want to get into credit card debt. Thank
0: you for for sharing that personal story, because these are words that we say a lot in the financial world. But I think unless someone tells you an actual story, and especially from someone like you, Kate, because you went on to become... (laughs) a very successful banker, you're a financial expert. And so I think it's really helpful for our listeners to realize people don't
1: just know these things. Exactly. And it's okay to ask for help Mm -hmm. and it's okay to not know everything. There's no way, no matter what you do, you can know everything. And Mm -hmm. so I think, you know, sharing these money stories, sharing experiences, the goods and the bads is so important, not just for the younger generation, but for, for your peers, because not everybody is going to want to share. Some people could be in terrible situations, Mm -hmm. um, and, and having the ability to share so that people can prepare, it's never too late, right? Exactly. It's never too late. And so those early experiences, I think, shaped, and, and I was never, you know, the person that thought I would become a banker. That that sort of fell into my lap. And, well, so
0: tell us about that. Yeah. <laughs> I, about that. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> I doubt that it,
0: given what you've just shared about hard work, value system, I doubt it fell into your lap, but How did you become a banker?
1: Well, I was a political science major, always thinking that I was going to go, you know, do something amazing for the world. And uh, like my father, Mm -hmm. in particular, as an FBI agent, when I graduated from Maryland and I had worked multiple internships throughout college and all um, within the political realm, and I loved it. But I realized that maybe that wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I I got a a job at a nonprofit, which Mm -hmm. was sort of... uh, along the same lines. And, and within about a year, the, the CFO of the company told me, listen, I think you're pretty talented. I don't want you to get stuck in nonprofit, not that you can get stuck, but you can do good things, but you can also go out there and work in the private sector and and, and earn a really good living and and then give back. What and a great mentor. Exactly. Have. Exactly. I'll never forget that. And I, at first I cried thinking I was going to get fired. Right. Um, and then I worked, it was the tech boom, the original tech boom. So it was 98 and uh, I got a job at a very small startup. Long story short, uh, within eight months, I was in China um, setting up joint ventures, uh, something that I knew nothing about, but the, the great part about, you know, that, that mentor at that tech, uh, at that, that nonprofit and then at the tech company was, you're a hard worker, you're smart, mm-hmm. you listen, mm-hmm. you learn. I have no doubt you're going to be able to do this. It's just giving you the tools to be able to do it. Um, came back from from a very long stint in China. Went back to school at night because I couldn't afford to to not go to school um, to pay for Georgetown, which I had to pay for on my own, and uh, got my master's in international relations. And as I was finishing. There was a bank on campus that sponsored the Career Center. It was a bank called MBNA. Uh, it no longer exists. It was acquired by Bank of America when I was there. And they had a global development program. I loved global. I had worked internationally. Mm-hmm. And they said, why don't you apply for this? And I said, I have no idea what a bank does. You know, don't look <laughs> at my credit score uh, and, or my credit card balance. And they said, you know, come and interview. And long story short, I went and interviewed up in Wilmington, Delaware. That's where their headquarters was. And they offered me the job and, and it was almost like they had to convince me to take the job mm-hmm. because I was thinking, this is not me. I don't have a financial background. I'm mm-hmm. not an accountant. I, I never took a class in, in finance. And they, the, 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 I will remember the CTO of the company said to me, we can give you all the technical skills. You've got everything else we want. And so they put us through, there were six of us um, in this program. All of them had an MBA except for me. And so I felt like I had to work that much harder to grasp Mm -hmm. a lot of the concepts. They put me through a credit training program, thankfully. And in a year and a half later, I was moving to Mexico City to launch a joint venture with a Mexican bank. Uh, And then, you know, 18 years later, I was still in banking and I loved every minute of it. The majority of the banking that I did in those early days was consumer. And I was able to adapt that career very early on into wholesale, and then went on to do corporate investment banking for for the you know the last you know dozen years of my career, if not more.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So all these different things that you've tried—that's that's some risk taking.
0: Is is that kind of thing just hardwired in someone, or is it part of your experiences? You had different jobs as a kid, different mentors were telling you you could do it. And now we're going to talk about what you're doing now, but do you think that we all, if we listen to those mentors and we try those things, is that part of your message to particularly other women?
1: Yeah. I, you know, I think there's, there's one person that you can count on in your life and that's yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. I love that. Love that message. And when you, the biggest risk you can take, who better than to take that risk on is you. Right. And so My, again, my parents, hugely influential in in my upbringing, my life, and still are. I I remember at a very early age, and I tell the story uh, quite frequently, I have a brother on each side. I grew up in a neighborhood full of boys, a Mm cul-de-sac, and Mm -hmm. and, and I loved athletics and I loved sports. And I remember coming in and crying that someone pushed me down and, you know, it was a big mess. And my dad said, well, if they push you down once and you come in crying, they're just going to keep pushing you down. Every single time you have to stand up and show them that they can't push you down and that you're going to fight back. And by the way, come out swinging. Right. And so pick yourself up, Mm -hmm. brush yourself off and keep going, walk it Mm -hmm. off. And that has been my mantra for Mm -hmm. my whole life. And I think that early experience, the athletics and the sports that I played all through high school. And then in college also really showed me how to be on a team and become a leader. But at the same time, taking control, taking that risk on myself and knowing that I wasn't going to failure, going to fail. Because in my mind, being raised the way I was, a failure is giving up. Falling down, making mistakes is not a failure. It's not being able to learn from those and not being able to come back from those or just literally throwing up your hands and say, I can't do this. I'm not doing this. Mm -hmm. To me, that's a failure. And Mm -hmm. so leveraging all of the mentors in my career, particularly, by the way, the 99% of them being men, Interesting. Um, there was a, you can do this. And what's the worst that can happen? And, and from the time I went to the tech company to starting in banking to making three big moves within the banking mm-hmm. industry, moving countries, moving companies. Um, and then ultimately leaving that stable and lucrative right, career Right, my own company inherently in who i am is is a risk taker mm-hmm. and but why because i can count on myself
0: there's so many i think important messages in this and you did that right you then took this next big step had a vision for a company and you have spent so much energy and heart and soul in mm-hmm. now becoming a champion for women to think about their lives, their risk-taking, their careers intentionally. And you founded this incredibly visionary enterprise called Luminary. How did you conceive of this? I mean, it's certainly a big step from quote stable
1: situation, but how did you conceive of this whole idea? So a lot of people will think that I had this idea during my career and I was, you know, planning this, um, this company and, and, and I, I have to correct them and say, this wasn't even a twinkle in my eye when I was in banking. For me, I give 150%, right? So Mm -hmm. to try to be able to have a side hustle for me is, is not, not the way that Mm -hmm. I work. I'm all in. And so it took me having this, this conversation with another one of my mentors saying, you didn't set out your career path to be a banker for the rest of your life. You could be, but is that really what you want to do? And and no one had really asked me that in 18 years because that's what the path that I was on. I was right. focused. I'm growing. I'm, I'm, I'm building. I'm, I'm, I'm taking bigger roles and, and getting lots of uh, exposure and, and, and more power and influence. And, but on the side of my desk, I was running and involved and leading a lot of the mm-hmm. women's initiatives and diversity mm-hmm. and inclusion and, and, when he and I had that conversation, I'll never forget. It was at a, a bar in, in or a restaurant in New York City called Pershing Square near Grand Central. Mm-hmm. And he said, you could always do something else. And I, I rolled my eyes to him thinking, what is he crazy? This is my job. This is what I do. And then I couldn't get that conversation out of my head. Two weeks later, I decided that I was not going to continue on in my career at the present time, not to say that I couldn't go back. And Mm -hmm. that was one of the things that he said. Um, And I thought, and I had been talking to lots of my clients who had wanted to hire me, things like that. I really thought that I was going to go work for another big company and do a different type of role, like a chief revenue officer, Mm -hmm. business officer, because I love sales and I love people and I love managing. And what I realized in that one and a half months till I wrote the business plan for Luminary was, did I really want to make impact in just another company? I could Mm -hmm. just do that in banking. I really wanted to make a broader impact and I wanted to change the way women were invested in and developed in small companies all the way to large companies. And in March of 2018, that first week of March, I I wrote a business plan at the same time I'm interviewing and then realized, wait a second, I can't do both. Mm -hmm. And did the business plan, realize with my savings and and my um, not having children, but having all these college educations yeah. that I'd save for that I could do it on my own. Um, and Impressive. eight months later, we opened our doors. So most people would say, Linda, like, why would you do that? Why would you risk all of your own money? And I go back to there's no one better to bet mm-hmm. on than yourself. Right. So, and all lots of other reasons I didn't want to go fundraise, but and that's proved to be allowed the company in the midst of a crazy global pandemic to, to navigate the waters that, that we, the choppy waters or the waves mm-hmm. that we've been dealing with. But um, So just generally, I mean, uh, you may not remember
0: the exact year, uh, about how many years of saving, you know, so you started saving right away. And so how many years of work of your working life before, uh, more or less, before you found the luminary was it?
1: Uh, Well, I, it was about, I mean, depends on what you get, because I, you know, I, i real estate and I had two houses and things like that, but what what that conversation was, and I I was definitely several years of, of saving bank bonuses. Right. And, uh, and I tell people this all the time. I was not a financial advisor. I was a corporate Mm. investment banker. Right. So I probably could have saved more if I had hired a financial advisor earlier Mm. on in my career, but I was still that. I'm my dad, and I'm mm-hmm. going to put it in my savings account, and I'm going to do my 401k. All very good. So if you're going to start somewhere, then start there. But I probably should have much earlier on prepared for different ways to to uh, to save more and save better. Well,
0: but the reason I ask that is because you, you were doing very well financially, but it yeah. wasn't as though you were running a hedge fund or something. Exactly. You you were able to, with good habits, with good jobs and investing in yourself later on, even though you couldn't have seen it when you started out later on, when you wanted
1: to do something else, you had invested in yourself when you could do it. 100%. And and I think there's a huge sort of myth that every banker makes hedge fund money. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's not true. Mm -hmm. Um, But you can, you can live a very good living and Mm -hmm. you can save money. And People would, when I first started doing this and I started speaking about it, they would say, well, you know, you're, well, you know, you, why'd you leave banking? And I said, listen, there, there was a reason I was in banking. Yes, I loved it. And, and I still do, but I was making good money mm-hmm. and I could save and I could eventually provide for, for my retirement. Um, there isn't another, a whole other reason people are in banking other than that. Right, it's not for the love of financial services and selling those those instruments. A lot of it has to do with you practical know practical right? life, right? Exactly. And so, going back to that conversation I had all those years ago at the nonprofit, twenty two years in corporate America, allowed me to mm-hmm. now, although we're for a for profit company be able to give back in different ways and truly have an impact. And and Linda, that's not to say that I tell this to people all the time. Never say never. I mm-hmm. loved my career in banking. Um, I didn't leave because I was having a miserable time sure. and I was done. You were very successful. You, you could have gotten in yeah. other directions. So knew that I wasn't didn't want to be the CEO of a bank. Mm-hmm.
0: You wanted to be the CEO of your own company.
1: Yeah. And, and, but that's, again, not to say that who knows where life takes you. I'm 45 years old. I have a long Mm -hmm. road ahead of of working. And so what does that look like? I don't know. What I know is that I'm focused on what we're building now. And, and that's, that's our trajectory. It's also why I didn't fundraise because I, I wasn't building this company to go and sell it.
0: So you have, I mean, 2018, you've had three <laughs> unbelievable years you've been doing this. And just talk a little bit about why, at least right now, you're so focused on helping women to succeed in, the, in, in
1: with Luminary. Yeah, so even pre-pandemic, and the pandemic has, I mean, it's it's uh, it's devastated women in the workforce mm-hmm. as well as small business owners, but even pre-pandemic, it was about, you know, everyone talked about there's no pipeline or there's this leaky pipeline. Well, if you started to invest in the pipeline much earlier
0: mm-hmm. and
1: more often, that pipeline, that leak will stop. That sieve will, will dry up. And, and what I was seeing in the companies and great companies that I work for was we were waiting way too long. And you were investing in women that were already senior, great. Mm-hmm. And, and also those that are coming in, the junior, right? Cause you wanna keep them and you've just paid a lot to hire them. The middle, you were seeing hands raising all the time. And then this, they're not ready. They can't take mm-hmm. it, they don't have this. And I, and I was saying, well, if they're not ready, let's get them ready. Let's invest in them, let's develop them. And, and it was very true when I got to HSBC from JP Morgan. and I give one anecdotal example, was I moved from a 200,000 person organization at JP Morgan to a 250,000 in HSBC my role went from regional to global and yet every within the first three months of me being at hsbc everyone said when are you hiring people from jp morgan you came from jp morgan we want to hire JP." i said well wait a second i don't even know what talent i have in my business Mm -hmm. let me see what talent i have and also what talent that's underutilized or Mm -hmm. underdeveloped and I, I am very proud to say in the, the several the couple of years that I worked at HSBC before I left to do this, I never hired someone from the outside at a management level. I really looked deep into the pipeline to understand who was there. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of people that were raising their hands and mm-hmm. nobody was not even picking on them, just saying, well, how can we, how can we help these skills? And so I took that model and of, of what I was doing and built a company out of it. Mm-hmm. Because if you invest in a small business owner, that's a woman, woman that's in transition trying to figure out her next step or those in the corporate workforce or teachers, anyone Mm -hmm. that's sort of, not everybody, Linda wants to get to the C-suite. Like I just said, I never wanted to be the CEO of JP Morgan, but I wanted to continue to build my skills and I wanted to to continue to get better. And I wanted to continue to learn you don't we don't have to treat every single woman the same way but for the majority of women and and men they want to continue to learn Absolutely. so why aren't we helping them
0: we hear we read all the time how most people don't find as much meaning and satisfaction and and fulfillment in their workplaces as we would like and then management is shocked by that and try, oh, what's wrong? And so your point is, no, everyone has some ingredients.
1: Exactly. But we can't, you know, I I love we say this at Luminary all the time. One size fits none. Mm -hmm. Right. And and a lot of that comes down to sort of resources and infrastructure and then also training of managers and how to have these conversations and understand, you know, the path to promotion in most companies is becoming a manager. And yet we're not setting those managers up for Mm -hmm. success either. There's not a people manager handbook. Um, And then when you look at what's happened this past year, you know, 5.4 million women out of the workforce in one year, 25 years of employment gains made by women, gone. I I tell people all the time, I started working in 1997. The last time the employment levels were this low for women was 1988. And so we have wiped out basically this whole, you know, two decades worth Plus you have the, the pay gap that was already wide mm-hmm. to, the begin, to the begin with is now widening. And then you've got 2.2 million of those five that aren't even looking for jobs right now because of the burdens that are placed upon them. Um, and the, the this, this statistic that I don't think people pay attention to is of that 5 million women, 9% are women between the ages of 20 and 24. Those are women that are just starting their careers mm-hmm. and now they're going to be set back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we know earnings potential, all the things that we know as women in the workforce are, are against us, that further sets them back. And, and I worry about, you know, when we talk to McKinsey or other companies, I mean, this not, these numbers aren't even going to get level until at least 2024. So what can we do to help women that have left or have been displaced, keep mm-hmm. them tethered to their networks, to, to new opportunities, to new ideas around what they can do. And, and Luminary, I think, I, I don't think I ever could have imagined we were gonna hit at a mm-hmm. pandemic, but the time is now for right. uh, this community of women and men, because we don't exclude men to really, um, to be there for each other and to, uh, to develop these women that have been displaced, but also not forget about all the women that are still working and they need that too
0: that way you've just described that, it really does give me goosebumps because I can't imagine the challenges you in running and leading your own business during this time have been through. And now, and and yet you're at a time when it's more needed than you could possibly have imagined. uh, You mentioned uh, so many things about this. One of the things I know that you champion is being an inclusive community. Yes. And you have a number of strategies too, I know that um, that you that you have incorporated that. So many conversations now about uh, creating cultures that really are diverse. Can you share with
1: us just your own view and your own experience? You know, I, I mean, everyone knows this in business but it starts at the top. And, you know, that started from day one, when I, when, I joined, when I started Luminary, when I wrote that business plan of who I wanted to build this for, one, it was the diversity of the voices around the table for my team and then within the community. And the, the, the first thing that I knew that in order to build that diverse, inclusive community open to all was to not have an application process. And I had a lot of naysayers when I was first, you know, uh, socializing this business. Like, well, you have to have an application process. And I said, well, who are these people going to be? Right. Oh, you don't know. You could have all. And like, first of all, if people want to be part of a community, we shouldn't close doors on them. That's not a community. I shouldn't create barriers to enter a community. Otherwise, you know, my great, my great grandparents that came over from Italy, they wouldn't have been able to do anything, Mm -hmm. but their community embraced them and helped them. And I think the idea of community has, has, has sort of been diluted and, and we're trying to bring that back to, to the, the way you used your, your religious organizations or the chambers of commerce or the Elks Lodge or the Lions Club in the old days. We're creating that for women, to, women and men to convene. But that application piece removed a barrier to entry that women already have so many of. And so... Whoever you were, whoever you are, whatever you do, whatever you look like, you could become part of this community and you can. And I will never have an application process. I will never make this exclusive. That is not what I built. There are too many people excluded already in this world. And if you wanna go be a part of an exclusive organization, great, mm-hmm. but that's not Luminary. And, and you know what, you could be a part of lots of different organizations mm-hmm. at the same time. Uh, and that really started at the top. Right. And so that doing that and not excluding men and being open to all allowed us to, you know, we're over 40% women of color within Luminary. And that is for me, a very proud statistic it's very purposeful and intentional to making sure we have. And and the other thing that we did right off the bat was we had a scholarship program Mm -hmm. that anyone could apply for. uh, And and that has been a wonderful way to bring women into the community that also aren't able to join because of financial reasons or they are are burdened with tons of student debt, Mm -hmm. but they still need a community. And a lot of those women that have gone through the program Um, have become members outright uh, once they finished because they saw the value and um, and it's a it's something that we're very proud of I'm very proud of and then you know launching our fellowship program at the end of last year when we saw women-owned businesses suffering we saw Mm -hmm. women being forced out of the workforce being able to work with companies to say let's let's both put our money where our mouth is and work together to help these women and the communities that they they live work and serve and so It's just who I am. And Mm -hmm. that goes back to my parents. Like you, you bring people together, you don't push them apart. You stand up for others, you stand up for yourself. And, and that's just what I feel like we're doing as a company. uh, And, but at the same time, being able to drive real impact and change. And and that's my hope as we continue Mm -hmm. to grow.
0: So you're you're growing. You've you've been through this challenging time. You've seen now the world. Are your communities need you more than ever? We've talked about some of the shocks, financial shocks that so many women have felt. Um, right now, are do you have any uh, thoughts about money and women and skills or anything else that you think our women need? Um, or just yeah. what the mindset is, anything about that?
1: I think uh, we have got to stop worrying about what everyone else thinks and start raising our hands uh, and keeping our heads up versus down. That does not get anyone anywhere. And and we may have learned that when we were little girls and societal-wise, but raising your hand, keeping your head up, asking questions. And for the money conversation, we sit around even virtually, and talk about how bad a boss is or a boyfriend or, you know, whatever it is. But yet we don't sit there and talk openly about money and get tips from each other and learn from each other. That We've got to break down that barrier and start being open and honest uh, about the challenges, but also best practices, lessons learned. You know, I really didn't know where all of my money was, and this is another lesson, my 401ks from three different companies by mm-hmm. this, right? mm-hmm. until I got divorced. Hmm. Transition was, point forced you into it. Exactly. And you know what I would say to my nieces um, and my goddaughters and also my nephews, you better be prepared sooner or rather than later for any life event, right? It doesn't have to be just mm-hmm. a divorce, but also just to know um, where you're at in your life and what that looks like. I think it's the same Linda for small business owners. If you don't know your numbers and you don't have financial projections, you will not succeed. So this whole,
0: everything you're saying, I'm just nodding like crazy because (laughs) I so agree with you. Of course, this whole part of our lives that somehow it's easy for us to not engage with it as you said there's so many other top topics of so much less significance that yes. we spend so much time on it is it just we need if you think we need to keep telling each other and being a being a place women's community and other mentors and giving the lesson and just saying it over and over again because just, all these women are in your community they're they're smart, they're engaged, I'm sure they're well educated, they're clearly motivated, but this thing's missing.
1: Yeah, and I think we can take a lesson from all of the men in our lives that are talking about this, that aren't nervous to talk about this. I mean I learned this very early on in my banking career. If you wanted to know what someone made or benchmark, you asked a man. <laughs> because they would tell you. <laughs> they know. Um, they would tell you how much they got in their bonus. They would brag about it. Right. So It's a competitive thing. It's competitive, and so for years, as I went into my comp discussions with my managers, what did I do? I called the men in my life. I called other bankers that I knew, former colleagues, and say, "What do you? What are you projecting? What are you getting?" And so, making this not a taboo subject, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know as much as taking a you know risk on yourself uh, nobody cares about your career or your path more than you do right your company doesn't your boss doesn't your investors don't mm-hmm. it, it's you so if you are not taking control then the fault lies with you and so if we can normalize these conversations whether it's comp discussions at your in your company whether it's you know preparing yourself for retirement or talking about debt let's share Mm-hmm. That's, that's what a, that's what you do in a community. That's a, think of the old, I call it the old days. That's what co- communities did. That's what you did in your, in your church or your synagogue or, or your mosque. You talked about the challenges and how the community could come together to support you. Why has that gone away? Uh, and now we have even more tools at our fingertips around learning about money and, and being better with money and better prepared. Um, but a lot of it comes down, Linda, to having the conversation, being open and, and educating yourself. And, and just remember, no one knows it all right and, and as you okay. shared
0: in your own personal story it's not all a straight line up to happiness and wonderment with money we we have credit card debt we lose jobs we get divorced we get sick we have to come back it's it's somehow i don't know i think we women put so much pressure on ourselves to be perfect absolutely look perfect be perfect in every category and this money it's never perfect right it's never
1: know. perfect and and you know you asked earlier around the savings right so if you're a woman that's going through you know fertility or adoption i did i, I did mm-hmm. and i'm i'm vocal of i did five mm-hmm. rounds of ivf to not be able to have children that was a significant amount of money yes. some people would say well you wasted it because you didn't get a baby well i invested it in it, my exactly. in my in a goal and, and a goal and it, and it, and I wasn't successful. And that's not because of any other reason than my body was not going to cooperate. Right. Um, but we also have to look at those, those, you know, what's coming in our life, mm-hmm. uh, you know, buying a house, being able to, to afford certain things, saving for your children's education and all of those things. I think if we're not talking about it, You feel lonely. You feel isolated. You feel like it's only your problem. Um, You've run into debt. You've, you know, you started this company. You've sunk your life savings into it. It's not working. If you're not putting your hand up, no one can help Mm -hmm.
0: you. Well, and it's back to you. One of your dad's great lessons. It's when you fall down, you know,
1: as long as we're
0: still here, we pick ourselves up. And And by the way,
1: there are a lot of hands that are willing. You don't have to do it on your own. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of hands reaching down to help you get up. And I like to say, um, there's a woman, Phyllis Newmark. She says, shoulder to shoulder. I like to say, lock arms, Mm -hmm. right? Lock arms together. And, 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 and as a collective, we have to do this and that's what luminary is about, but that's what all of this is about. Um, the 5 million women that are out of the workforce, we can't get them back unless we collectively work together, men and women. Um, the women that are coming into the workforce, educating them. And I love seeing so many young women wanting to learn about mm-hmm. finances, trying to understand investing in the stock market. Um, and, and that's what it's about. And also being able to share the goods, but also the not so goods and the lessons learned. That's how we move forward.
0: Well, Kate, that's a, that's exactly the message. You know, thank you so much for your, personal stories and all the ups and downs. And um, we're just so grateful that Luminary is on the up and that it's a growing community and a vital community so needed in this world. And I know that our listeners are going to want to be sure they have the quick way to to find you and listen to you some more and find out about Luminary. So just remind us how to find you on social media, etc.
1: Sure. Uh, for, for luminary it's, uh, on Instagram and Twitter, it's be a luminary. So a call to action around becoming a luminary, um, and our website, although we're no longer just in New York, we're now global. Um, it's luminary NYC.com. Great easy ways to find us also the same on LinkedIn. And then for me personally, LinkedIn is my, is my, uh, preferred platform to engage and, 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 uh, and get more information. But um, so you can find me on LinkedIn, Kate Luzio, Kate with a C, uh, but then also on Instagram and Twitter at C-A-T-E-L-U-Z-I-O. So Kate Luzio.
0: Well, I know that um, everyone is going to want to do that. And just, I just want to thank you for the tremendous energy you're putting to the world. Thank you. So fortunate (laughs) to have you in it. So thank thank you for having me, Linda. It's really fun. Thanks so much, Kate. Want more money stories? Check out my Instagram at Taylor underscore LDT to learn more about our incredible lineup of guests and share your own money story. Until next time.